3GM, and I am back having just recorded the proofread aloud of the Roll Initiative feature that has just been posted to TheAngryGM.com. And now I am taking questions and comments from the audience who listened live as I proofread aloud the article, and then I will answer those questions and respond to those comments thus. And I'm going to start with a question slash comment from Wiley, who questions slash comments, to which types of game systems would this lesson plan not apply other than fantasy adventure? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I could probably come up with, with a reasons why it wouldn't apply to other things, but that's really me just hedging my bets. To be honest, there are very, very few genres and systems, um, uh, there are very, very few genres and systems out there that I wouldn't use this sort of approach to um, in combat, obviously. But I always run the risk when I say, well, this applies to everything, for someone to comment with the one exception where I think about it and say, okay, if I was really thinking hard about it, Cthulhu Horror is the one place where that really doesn't fit. So that's just me covering my ass, okay? I don't know if don't if you've held me down and tried to make me, me tried to make me make a list, I probably wouldn't do it. But so anyway, I write about fantasy adventure. That's what I like. It's what I know best inwards and outwards. Okay. Jinbei Fang, is it wrong to use attack rolls to resolve something like an archery contest with strong with straw targets? No, of course not. An attack roll is an ability check where you also apply the proficiency modifier of a character with the bow if you're running D&D, or if you're running a different system, maybe their archery skill or whatever. You're rolling a check to determine the outcome of an action. So, you know, like, attack roll, the attack and damage roll thing is me specifically saying like, don't use attack rolls to do things like, well, I'm going to smash the chest with my battle axe, or I'm going to sneak up behind someone and try to knock them out. If someone's not legitimately making an attack, don't use an attack roll. You can argue that a bow is an attack against a target. Fine and dandy. I won't, won't fault you on that. This is once again, one of those points where as a GM, you have to use your GMing brain to pick the best approach from all the tools you have, which is why I'm not going to sit here and nitpick every little thing and say, is this an attack roll? Does this deserve a damage roll? Does this, does that? I don't know. Just roll your, you, you know, use your GMing brain and call for whatever check your system gives you that you think gives you the best model of resolving that question. Does the attack hit and how close to the target is it? What I, you know, like, eh, anyway, yeah. Archery contests, by the way, are really boring. Okay, this is the thing that, that nobody thinks. Like, we always have to do the archery contest, right? But archery contests are really boring because when you do them at the table, it is basically just who rolls best, okay? There's no way for the players to affect the outcome other than by rolling dice. And so, they're kind of boring. Anyway, Proselys. So, someone outside of combat, like they didn't want to start the fight, although everyone else did, would they just get hit automatically and take damage? Uh, I don't know if I would go that far. Like, it would depend on the thing. And this is, once again, where I totally miss the whole flat-footed condition thing. Okay, in D&D 3.5, there was a 
condition where if you weren't actually ready to defend yourself, if other people got the jump on you, if you were unaware, whatever, you took penalties to your armor class to reflect that, okay? So um, at that point, if you're not actually uh, going into a defensive, like, like here's the thing, okay, because Wiley just pointed out defenders can still defend even if they're not willing to kill. Okay, that is true, but defending is not something you just do from a standing start. It's not like you're just wandering along and then all of a sudden you're ready to defend yourself. Even if you have weapons and armor at the, or weapon and shield in your hand and you are standing around in a conversation, you are still not necessarily in a position to receive an attack, okay? So even then, if the character doesn't immediately drop on guard and prepare themselves to defend themselves from an incoming attack, they are off guard. They are flat-footed, okay? So in those cases, I would like a condition like that because it is certainly possible, like, okay, so Cabe's fleeing and I didn't give him an initiative role, right? Because he's not in the combat, he's running away. I'm gonna handle that differently. But that doesn't stop a goblin from taking a pot shot at him while he flees. And I'd still need an attack roll. And then I'd need to use my best judgment. Cabe is fleeing, he's not defending himself. He's being shot in the back. I would absolutely give an archer like advantage if I was running D&D 5e or something like a plus five bonus or just declare Cabe flat footed because he's fleeing, he's not in the fight, you know? Um, there is, is there a die roll needed? Obviously, there's not an automatic hit because a goblin cannot, with a bow, hit a target that is fleeing into the brush from 30 feet away 100% of the time. So, again, you gotta use your brain. That's, that's where, that's where all this comes from. The other thing, and I didn't include a sidebar about this, but the question of damage is really, really a tricky one. And it probably deserves some discussion in a future article on encounters. Um, but the, the, the thing is, when players get attacked outside of combat, I tend to use damage and hit points, even though you, I shouldn't, okay? Because in theory, if you're not on guard, if you're not ready to fight, you don't actually have all your hit points because even though hit points are meat and everyone knows they're meat, they're also not meat, but they are meat. They're meat for player characters, but they are not meat for NPCs, okay? Which is why when the rogue sneaks up and tries to assassinate the unaware guard, assuming the stealth check is successful, um, and they bury the shiv in the guard's back, I don't do hit points. They, you know, stab the guard dead or slit his throat or whatever. There was even a, there was an example that didn't make the final cut of this article where Cabe throws a dagger and that's the initiating action for the combat. 
So the goblins and, and the party are standing around and Cabe's play. Chris suddenly decides, look, we're not getting out of this without a fight. I know the goblins are going to attack. They're just delaying us. I can't say that out loud without starting a fight. So I'm going to flick one of my daggers out of my sleeve and bury it in the, the, goblin, the goblin leader's throat at 10 paces. Just like one of those quick flick throw. And that's the start of the fight. Basically going from a social situation to an ambush. And I explained that in that situation, yes, I would roll, you know, okay, Chris, give me a sleight of hand check. And if no one's aware, no one notices the action until the dagger's already flying and it's too late to do anything about it, the first thing people are going to notice is when the Goblin King says, look, the way I see it, there's more of us than there are of you, and we can just pick the treasure off your corpses, so why don't you just make it easy for <laughs> And suddenly there is a dagger blooming out of the Goblin King's throat. The other goblins are staring horrified at the halfling who is already palming another dagger. Ardric, what do you do? Right? Or Adam, what does Ardric do? Okay. Where again, it's like, I didn't even use hit points there. The, the Goblin King is dead. He, he, you know, he was attacked outside of combat. Uh, a dagger ended up in his throat. Yeah, he's dead. That's fair. You know, you make two rolls. I mean, it's a hard attack roll followed by a sleight of hand check against all the perceptions around, depending on the addition you're running. That's how I would model it. But in the end, yes, can they, can someone catch by surprise and eliminate one of the foes? Sure, why the hell not? Um. Anyway, Kaladrev. I noticed in your combat narration examples that you skip over the parts where you determine how you know what happens to the NPCs and the PCs, and where you determine how you know what the NPCs do. Is this something you can help with now, or should I wait for the next combat article? Sure, this is something I can help with now. Um, when it's time for an NPC to act, you think about what that NPC would do, decide what they do, and then describe what they do, and if there are die rolls involved because it's uncertain, you roll those die rolls. Okay? Like, you you decide. That's, as a GM, that's what you do. You decide. It's as simple as that. Um, and as far as how I know what happens to the NPCs and the PCs, I either decide, or if there is insufficient information or enough uncertainty, I use the rules of the system. And if I don't know which rule to use, I use whichever rule is the best rule to use, okay? This is, like, it's sort of, I don't want to be, like, I know this is going to sound mean, but this question is sort of outside the scope of this series, True Game Mastery, because this is about really finessing the greatest game possible out of your table. And the ability to decide what action an NPC takes is something I would consider to be a basic GMing skill. That said, um, it is also a situation, like it is also something that will get addressed in some places. Like when it, when it comes to social encounters, GMs have a real problem with this, and so I will address it. But in terms of combat, like you're gonna have to weigh things, which is why I said, first, know why your creatures are fighting. And second, Keep track of whether or not they're willing to die for what they're fighting for. Even if the goblins are winning, if they're just trying to pick treasure off the play, like they came into the dungeon because they're looking for treasure. They're just basically an evil adventuring party, right? They run into the heroes. The two of them are just like sitting there having, you know, they're, they're, they're basically sizing each other up. Is this, the goblins are thinking, look, is this really worth a fight um, to try and, like these people seem rich, but they also seem powerful. 
Do we really want to try and kill them for their treasure? Well, maybe if we threaten them enough and posture enough, they'll give us some treasure and, and we can let them go away and we'll go away. And the, the, the player characters, I mean, you don't know what the players are thinking. Okay, the players are probably thinking, ooh, easy XP, and they probably have some treasure on them, so let's murder them, which actually makes the players more evil than the goblins in this particular example, but nobody who's run a D&D game would actually argue that isn't the case. Okay, but the point is that, you know, as this conversation shapes out, you know what the goblins are thinking. You have to know, okay? And then it's a matter of, you know, do we really want this to go on? Game systems did, as I said, used to have tools to help you resolve those uncertainties. Nowadays, you're down to using your own best judgment or inventing your own tools. Um, so that's it. I guess that's the answer. Um, you, I, just figure it out. Like, that's GMing. You know, you know what? In fact, here's the thing. I'm actually going to say this goes beyond basic versus advanced skills, and I'm going to say this. GMing is a hobby. It's not playing a game. I've been very, very firm and clear on that, okay? The players are showing up to the table for a game-playing experience, and that is what you are obligated to provide them. You, the GM, are not showing up for a game-playing experience, and if you're showing up for a game-playing experience, you're doing it wrong because you're not getting a game-playing experience, Okay? You're behind the screen. You're running the game. Okay, so you have... To, there's got to be something you're getting out of it, but it's not playing a game. Okay? Which is why when GMs start demanding the things that players experience, like, I like to be surprised by the uncertainty of the game. It's like, well, uh, yeah, but you're the computer running the world. You're not allowed to have that. You, If you try to have that, you break the game for everybody. Okay? Shit like that. Okay. But there are things that are enjoyable about being, uh, being a GM and running a game. One of them is losing yourself in running or simulating a world, right? I mean, that's the thing is you get to, to some extent, play these characters and portray them and play the world. If you start using dice and systems and rules to determine literally how everything reacts, or even start asking people to tell you how things should react um, as if there's some proper answer, then you're, you're not leaving yourself anything to do. In that sense, too, you are now just becoming a part of the system. You are becoming a computer. And true game mastery is not about being a computer and executing a game. It's about using your best judgment to, to run, you, you know, tr basically trusting in yourself. Somewhere in there, there is a you who knows what the monster should do, who knows how the game should run, who knows what the best next event at your game table is going to be. There is that person inside of you. It's built up over years through practice. It's built up through intuition. It's built up through all the media you consume. And that is what feeds all of your decisions, okay? The more you stop trying to figure out, well, what is the right action to take or how do I decide what to do and instead just trust yourself to take the right actions, um, 
Oh, okay. Kaladrev is now clarifying. Now that I have given a several minute speech and I have a five minute warning um, before I'm done, uh, Kaladrev is now clarifying. So I'm going to jump to that clarification here. I think I worded it badly. My question isn't really about how to decide what they do. Your example narration just goes straight from the resolution of the PC's action directly through the resolution of the NPC's action. Are you just glossing over the break in that to roll the dice and determine what the NPCs do on their turns? Yes. Actually, yes, I am. I am just cutting out all the game mechanical crap. Uh, which, by the way, is something that I do strive to do at my table as much as possible. So the player takes their action. Uh, you know, I run up and stab the goblin. Okay, roll an attack roll. I, I hit 15 armor class. Okay, 15. That's a hit. Roll for damage. Okay, seven damage. Okay. And then I then I unpause the game to, to go back to the action. Okay, you, you know, you thrust your short sword and you, you uh, stab the goblin in the shoulder and he reels back and then he, uh, you know, he, he readies his own knife and swings back at you and while I'm talking, I'm also rolling a die and I say, oh, 17, that hits your armor class. So he drives his dagger, um, you know, underhanded into your thigh as you pull back, um, do, you know, dealing a massive wound for eight points of piercing damage. Meanwhile, the other two goblins have surrounded Cabe and and they both miss, you know, he turns the, he turns their attacks aside with his buckler, yada, yada, yada. And I try to like keep me doing the mechanical shit um, as much as possible behind the screen and talk over it. So it's like clatter and roll or sometimes, I mean, I'll roll in front of the players too. I don't mean behind the screen, like in the literal sense that no players don't see my die rolls, but I do try to very quickly toss the die and look at the result and know what I'm doing so that as I'm describing, I don't have to break the flow of the narration that much. Okay. So again, even though, yes, I'm glossing over stuff for the sake of my examples and readership and not making it all boring, uh, at the same time, it is kind of close to, to the ideal I strive for at my table. Okay. Uh, I guess that's the last one, especially because I'm just about out of time, though I do see Cold is typing and I'd like to give Cold a moment to get their question in. Uh, though cold, you better hit the enter, enter key fast. Otherwise proselytes is going to cut me off. And this is probably, um, so do you treat game, your game mechanic conversations and your narration conversations separately? Um, oh, well, yes, basically. Yes. Game mechanic conversations should be minimal and they should not be conversations any more than they have to be. It should be very, very quick. So the player declares an action. I say, good, attack roll. Okay, that hits, damage. Okay, good. And then I take the results and then re-describe the results as narration. Okay, game mechanics are kind of a pause in the game. It's like you can think about the computer stop or the, the game simulation pauses and the little wheel is spinning and the computer is running calculations and then it unpauses with me doing the conversation again. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, I wanna spend as much time at my game table in narration as possible. Okay, game mechanics suck, and the more you talk about game mechanics and invoke game mechanics, the more you convince your players that they are just playing a mechanical game of Yahtzee instead of a actual narrative story experience thing, which, like, obviously it's a game too, but, 
you know, you don't want them thinking that way. Your goal as a GM is to allow the players to forget as often as possible that this thing is actually just a fake old game and they're just playing with game mechanics and that they really are instead exploring a simulated, existing, living, breathing fantasy world of wonder. And that, I think, is a good place to end. So I'm going to thank everybody for asking questions, uh, especially because I think I just got my time up. Mute button is arming. Uh, warning from Proselys, the producer, who, by the way, thank you for producing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm sorry this one's coming down to the wire again, and I will be back uh, with another article next week. Uh, see you all then.